What's going on, everybody? You got Evan Knowles here with Logan Jones. We're sitting here in the Awesome Inc. podcast studio. Uh, this is the intro for a series we just did with John Wilmoth and Christian Miller of Poplar Ventures. Um, so Middle Tech was founded. Just to give you a little bit of background here. Middle Tech was founded to help educate, inspire, um, and entertain this region of the United States as it relates to technology and startups and entrepreneurship. Uh, we found that there's a big void in the market here. Um, and one of the things that a lot of founders and people in the ecosystem ask us, and just we've seen a whole in knowledge in this region, is around you know venture capital. How do I raise money? It's my first time raising money. might be their second time raising money, but they're in later stages. It might be a Series A this time. Um, and so we wanted to help answer those questions. So uh, we sat down with uh, John and, and Christian. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the questions that we found that uh, these first-time founders have um, they're getting the answers to these questions by consuming content that might be made for uh, coastal firms or made by coastal firms or made for companies that are raising uh, from those coastal firms. So we wanted to partner with Popular Ventures, which is a Louisville-based uh, venture capital firm. John uh, Wilmoth and Christian Miller, who we're both really close with, and we consider them to be one of the premier venture capital firms in the state and in this area of the country. Uh, we wanted to partner with them. Uh, to kind of fill that void and bring it back to middle America and show what it's like to raise capital here. Um, so that's why we made this three-part series. Uh, it's going to go over all of the process of, of raising capital here in middle America. Um, and it's going to be very, very localized. It's going to be from the perspective of a venture capital firm that operates right in our, in our backyard there in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so John and Chris are going to talk us through that entire journey. Um, and we just really hope this helps entrepreneurs uh, in this area go into uh, the process of raising capital with a lot of confidence. Um, so we hope you guys enjoy. Um, we're look, looking forward to hearing your guys' feedback uh, as you guys consume this content. John, Christian, thanks for joining us, guys. We're really happy to be here. Out of the Handle offices here in Norton Commons. So this is the Glad second time here, we've yeah. recorded out of here. Uh, it's very, we're very grateful for uh, Kyle Green to be providing these, these offices here. So let's dive just straight into the episode here. Uh, first question, I want you guys to reintroduce yourself because, John, we had you on several months ago uh it seems like right before covid right i think it was right, right in the middle of COVID. was it in the middle yeah, of COVID? The very beginning we were okay. still a little hesitant to shake hands i remember that <laughs> <laughs> that's right I, I slightly it seems like it's all a blur it's been crazy but uh so you introduced popular on that episode but let's kind of re revisit that and, and reintroduce it again and talk about um, you know how it got started and what you guys are doing now sure so uh, popular ventures is a early growth stage venture capital firm focused on software technology companies in middle America. Um, we've raised $22 million in a fund. Uh, we're going to make probably in the range of six to 10 investments in that fund, four of which we've already made. Um, we're looking for uh, companies that are probably at a one to three to five million revenue, recurring revenue stage. Uh, so companies that have already gotten a little bit of traction, uh, typically not, you know, we will do, we will look earlier, we will invest earlier, but we typically are not trying to invest in companies that are pre-revenue or have very little revenue. So we're again, we're looking for a little bit more traction in terms of their particular product introduced to the market 
and that and that they're they're at a stage where they they can now accelerate their growth. So that's the primary focus. Um, you know, I, my personal background uh, and why I kind of got to Poplar Ventures. You know, I had been doing. Uh, my background was with Nextel Communications. I spent 17 years in the wireless industry doing corporate development activity, also doing corporate VC work uh, for Nextel. Uh, and I think the experience that I had at Nextel was part of, you know, I think it's, 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 it is one of the value adds that we can bring to the table for, for our entrepreneurs. Um, having started with a company that was a few million in revenue, grew it to, you know, 15 billion in revenue or whatever the number was when we ultimately merged with Sprint, um, saw a lot of change, obviously, over that period of time. A lot of, you know, kind of multiple iterations of management teams, uh, a lot of activity in terms of M&A activity within the industry, tremendous amount of growth in the industry, just in terms of just the organic side of the business. Um, so a lot of learnings out of that that I, that I feel like um, has positioned me pretty well to be able to help early stage growth businesses to help them because I, because I've been there really, really early and I've also seen them grow through those other stages. So I, I feel like I have a fairly good balance of being able to, uh, bring that experience to the entrepreneur, yeah, the um, operating experience. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. and I think that, um, you know, clearly, you know, my, my background, I started in banking right before Nextel. So my, my functional expertise is clearly finance, and, and uh, you know, I would say corporate development or, you know, strategic deals. Uh, that's clearly my functional expertise, but that operating experience that I got at Nextel, I think, gives me a pretty good balance. Um, and, and I think if you ask, if you asked any of the uh, entrepreneurs that I've worked with over the years um, of the companies that, that we've invested in in the past, I think, you'll, I think they'll give you a pretty good sense that I am, you know, I'm hands-on in the sense that I want to be involved. I want to be there to help and be participatory in what they're doing with the business. But I'm not so hands-on that I want to run their business. It's their job. It's, it's the entrepreneur's job to run the business. But I want to be value-add, and I'm, and I'm interested in being involved in the business. And that's kind of the approach that, that, that we're trying to take. Yeah, and uh, the Poplar team has grown since we last talked. So yeah. I'd like... Christian, to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, can I, and, if I could just say first yeah. of all that I'm very happy to have Christian <laughs> with me because <laughs> I'm sure. because I'm uh, sure. I, you know I launched this fund on my own. It you know I, for 18 months I've basically been kind of doing every every possible part of the fund, which is not there's some parts of it that aren't exactly fun. Yeah, that sounds not um, But you know it's very helpful to have somebody like Christian that has got good background, good experience, can help me kind of manage a lot more, increase the velocity of what we're doing. Awesome. So yeah, Christian, if you want to give us your background and uh, what your official title is at Poplar. Yeah. Yeah. So um, glad to be here. Good to be back in the state of Kentucky and working with John uh, at Poplar and doing a lot of fun stuff. So uh, let's see, you know, started my undergrad here in uh, Louisville at Bellarmine University, econ, business, double major, math minor. Um, so that's kind of the semi-boomerang effect is kind of what I say, which is the hot trend right now. Um, and then after that, I uh, went up to Purdue to get my MBA, kind of first started my investment career there. So um, very fortunate to get a graduate assistantship with John Hannock there. And we uh, kind of co-launched Purdue Ventures, uh, which was about $40 million under management under Purdue University, basically investing in Purdue-based startups. So 
that was my first kind of real taste of venture investing and where I got to learn some of the very early on ropes of uh, how to go about it and think about it. Um, so did that for two years. While I was getting my MBA and then left from there to go up to Detroit, Michigan to um, be with TRP Capital Partners, which is a lower middle market uh, LBO fund. So later stage buyouts, complete transactions, uh, only focused in the transportation industry. Uh, the latest fund was about 200 million, very similar to kind of what I'm doing at Poplar was supporting about four or five partners, um, and, and doing a lot of stuff. And my last investment there was actually a growth investment. We did a $30 million, um, probably about a series B round and helped them grow, sat on the board there. And, um, my wife and I had our first child about a year ago, and so my wife gave me that natural kind of pressure when we get closer to family. She's from Kentucky, uh, very fortunate from that perspective. And so, you know, John uh, happened to be in the market, and we had a few calls and came and joined Poplar. Actually, as a, Logan is the, is the reason. Well, yeah, that that is true. I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> Logan's, the, yeah, Middle Tech tied it all together and created this, uh, <laughs> this relationship, yeah. Music to our ears to hear that. <laughs> The one benefits of uh, many of middle tech. Heck yeah, for sure. So let's start diving into Poplar's approach to deal sourcing here. Um, so kind of walk us through what it looks like when you guys first hone in uh, on a company that you think you might want to invest in. So let's just start from the top uh, and then we'll work our way into that and dive deeper into yeah, that. I think, I think the top, you know, for those listening, you know, like we said in the intro, we're trying to provide, you know, a perspective that gives you, that, that'll give you an idea of, you know, how venture firms go about you know, investing in, in your company as an entrepreneur. Um, and typically VCs start with a thesis. You know, that's kind of the, the first place maybe we should start. Um, talk about your all's thesis and, and what that is. Yeah, so I think John really touched on kind of the core criteria of what we look for, you know, software-based companies, probably Series A round. You know, I think kind of one of our core ethos at Poplar is creating partnerships and really driving home partnerships with founders and management teams. And so, Obviously, we're always looking for an actual deal that's, you know, ready to go, current in the market, fits all of our criteria from a revenue, uh, middle America, software-based company, traction, strong founder team or management team. Uh, but the other side of that, too, is, you know, finding companies early on where you can, you know, help build a relationship there and maybe help them grow to the right point. Uh, you know, I think the cool part about uh, the four platform investments John made before I got here is he had a relationship with all of the founders or CEOs well in advance of ever actually putting capital to work, which helps, you know, from a due diligence perspective, but also once you get in, because John said, you know, best today, it's, it really is like a marriage, you know, in these early on investments, because it's about 10 year probably investment cycle. So knowing who you're getting in bed with is really critical. Um, and so from Poplar's perspective, you know, we are out there trying to find deals that are early on. So, you know, what I would say to entrepreneurs listening is just because a VC shop doesn't necessarily fit who you are today doesn't mean you shouldn't be reaching out and building those relationships because you never know when you're going to be raising capital. You never know when you get a need to use that network to help raise capital. So, um, you know, that's a big focus of mine is finding probably companies in that seed so maybe they have about 500,000 of ARR. They have some corporate customers. They have traction. They still just need a little bit more time to get to that right point before it's right for us to make an investment. And so I really focus on those, um, which is really driven by networking. I would say most of our deals really come through networking. Now, it could be a new relationship and that, you know, it's flourishing and your network's always expanding. 
Um, so for entrepreneurs out there trying to get connected with VC shops, warm intros are really critical, I think. Um, so leveraging your network in any way you can. Um, and then, it, but it doesn't hurt to cold outreach. I mean, we'll look at any deal that comes to us. So, I mean, if you are on a website, I mean, don't be, you know, go out there and still make the introduction for yourself. If you think that VC shop is the right shop for you. Yeah. And then make sure you're going to in-person events too. You know, yeah, all the great accelerators around here and once story. COVID normalizes. <laughs> of, course, of course. Uh, there's virtual events now too. Yeah. You know, they're trying to throw yeah, together some virtual, virtual events. Virtual events actually have been great. I will say, you know, I've probably looked at a hundred plus companies the past two months. Almost half have probably come from virtual based events, you know, in Chicago, Nashville, um, multiple different places that would have been hard to cover in such a short time period. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so go out, you know, as an entrepreneur, go to many, as many networking events and, um, meet and greets as you can, cause that's where you're going to meet potential future funders. Um, talk about, give, give a little bit more of an idea of what, um, a warm intro or what a call, a, you know, cold call or cold email would look like. How would you like to be reached out to as an, as, as a venture capitalist, how would you want to see an entrepreneur reach out to you in that first touch base? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I think, um, again, I think as Christian said, warm intros are better than, yeah. than, than cold, but it, that doesn't mean that you should be afraid of doing a cold intro. Um, you know, I, I was, I was advising, the vote award, you know, companies uh, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I was explaining to them is that you have to, you, they, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to treat it like a, um, um, it's, it's a, both a sales process uh, in terms of trying to raise capital for your business. And it is also a relationship process, right? So you need to, you need to treat it that way. So you need to basically be thinking about they're not, this is not just sending out a cold email um, and I hope I get a response. It is I'm trying to build a relationship. And sometimes if you're giving me a cold email, you know, you're not at the right stage that I would typically invest in. It's okay. I mean, I don't, I don't mind seeing the, seeing what's out there and understanding the business and learning a little bit more about it. And that quite frankly sets me up, you know, as Christian said, I, I almost every one of the investments I've made in the past have been situations where I've known the entrepreneur for quite a while. So getting to know them ahead of time so that when, when and when that right opportunity comes up, where they're at the stage where I, where, where we're wanting to invest and, and we already have built that relationship makes a big difference. So I would say focus on the relationship and focus on it from, from a standpoint of a sales process. If it's, if it's going to be a cold email, I, all I really care about is that you're able to articulate what you're doing. Honestly, it's not more complicated than that. So, and if, and if you can't do it in an email, that probably tells me something, right? You ought to be able to explain your business and what you're doing and why you're doing it in, in a very short email. And just, just do that uh, and, and reach out and say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation. You know, I will, you know, if it's, if it's not software technology, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm going to tend not to probably focus as much time on that. But if it's a software technology business, uh, you know, and, and you're giving me a good description of what you're trying to do, then I'm probably going to respond. Uh, and, and I might even be willing to take a phone call, even though I know it's not going to lead to anything imminent because it could lead to something down the road. Yeah. So I like the emphasis that we've had on here on building that initial relationship. 
So once we get that, that relationship established, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about what due diligence actually looks like uh, when it comes to investing in a company. What does it take to get to a term sheet uh, with a company you guys have looked into and now you're starting to dive into the team and the business model and everything else. So what is, what is the first few steps that you guys take to start conducting due, due diligence? Yeah. Um, so I would say usually probably if, if the deal came through me and said, John, usually I'll have a first intro meeting with the CEO or founder group to kind of really vet the deal, make sure, you know, I think it's something that John should take a look at and we should take a look at very seriously um, and begin that process of due diligence. And then so likely the next step would then be a meeting with John. So they pass all the criteria and make sure there's traction. Um, so, you know, in your pitch decks, uh, when you're having that first meeting, you know, I, I really tell uh, entrepreneurs, like, keep it short. You know, usually it is a 30-minute, but get to them kind of meat of the bone, right? Um, you know, what you're doing, why is it a problem, talk about the market, give me a summary of the traction. And, you know, I would say we only invest in SaaS companies. We don't understand all the markets by any means, but we do get a gist of it. So, you know, versus spending 25 minutes on, the you know, the market and, you know, what the big problem is, tell me about it in a very concise manner, get to the point, but then also really some of why it's you we should go with, you know, and, you know, what's your background? Why have you been, how can you solve this better than anybody else? Um, so I think that's huge in that kind of first initial pitch. Um, then from there, uh, really kind of follows a very concise diligence process where uh, we'll get access to a data room. So, you know, another kind of maybe uh, tip I can give entrepreneurs here is if you're serious about going out and raising capital, have that data room prepared at least you know core files you know that you're going to need in that process usually around kind of historical financials um, you know a summary income statement for year to date or whatever that time period is last 12 months can be kind of up to you um, something that's a kpi tracker so something that's really going to highlight your key performance indicators particularly for SaaS. so you know looking at churn revenue retention customer acquisition uh, how many logos or customers you actually have and then kind of how that MRR or ARR has scaled over time, having stuff like that available and ready to go is going to make your lives a lot more simpler, uh, especially once you get multiple VCs involved in the process who are asking you for all these one-off different little kind of documents that they want to see as part of their diligence process. Because, uh, I mean, a capital raising process is probably the most daunting thing for an entrepreneur, and things you can do in advance to make it easier, I think, are critical. Um, and then so, you know, really... Uh, from there, it's going to be focusing on kind of what are critical for us to get comfortable with the investment. So it could be market, understanding the market, the size. Can this be a billion-dollar opportunity or is this just a $100 million opportunity, right? That, that's kind of going to how we're running our, our risk scenarios and, you know, our waterfalls at the end um, because that's going to make a big difference of what we think the exercise is here. Um, you know, focusing on the team, you know, something I preach and it's, pretty important to me from an investment thesis standpoint, is there a strong founder market fit, right? So if this is an ag-based software business, do the founders have an agricultural background or have they been in, you know, real estate, you know, downtown New York sales for the past 15 years and all of a sudden they just had an idea for an ag company and try and get after it? You know, I don't, to me, that would, I would scratch my head about putting money behind these individuals. Not to say that those couldn't be successful. They definitely could. But for me, that's kind of a big uh, thesis. And then... Just looking at traction and, you know, customers and 
early on investments, I think the critical piece is customers, you know, really understanding who's going to be buying in, who are you going after? Do you have the opportunity to scale up or are you going top down? Um, and then, you know, what is the pricing point around those? And so that can take different shapes throughout a diligence process, whether, you know, you're actually um, meeting with management. You know, today we're doing all virtual meetings, um, you know, running financial models or talking with people in the industry, our network, our advisors to try and get more comfortable with the deal. Um, you know, John, I don't know if you'd add anything part of that process of what leads up to a term sheet, but I think, you know, those are kind of the core areas. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you hit a, qu- a question I had was you had mentioned that you want to see experience like domain experience from a founder. What about some personality traits are you looking at with founders and what are some, you know, key indicators that this person is prepared to go through this journey or what are some indicators that maybe they're not prepared to be an entrepreneur? What are some things you look at there? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's traits necessarily, but you know, you're. I, I, I'm usually trying to evaluate when I'm asking the questions. Some a lot, some of the questions are very straightforward in terms. Of I need to understand market opportunity. I need to understand what the product is and who your customer is and all those types of things. But in, in a lot of respects, I'm I'm trying to understand how that entrepreneur thinks and how they are. You know, if I ask you know broader questions around the market opportunity. That you know, if you describe that market opportunity, that that gives you some sense of have they thought this through or not, and you know, half the battle for early stage businesses are is finding the folks that a number one have that product, you know, the, the founder market fit. They they actually understand what they're doing in terms of the market opportunity, and then secondly, they actually understand how to build a company and how to identify a customer scale a, a, a you know operating processes that allow them to build the business so it's it's th- that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for just your the grasp on the business and and honestly you either have that one or you don't yeah right i mean yeah. there's not there's nothing i can tell an entrepreneur that would say you know be charming or whatever <laughs> it doesn't matter you have to be able to explain your business and you you got to be able to you know walk through the those key aspects. Otherwise, I'm I'm going to lose interest pretty fast. Yep. So you guys, once you do this due diligence, you dive into the financial profile of the business, the business model, the go-to-market strategy, the founders, and the team in general. You come to basically understand what kind of terms you might want to enter into this business with. Talk about you know what that uh, looks like, um, valuation expectations, and, and things like that right before. Um, you know, you, you basically use this to inform what the term sheet looks like that you hand them. So talk about that, that process. Yeah. So, um, basically you're taking all those meetings that I just referenced and all the different elements about getting comfortable with the founding team and traits like that and trying to consolidate that into what you think this business is worth. Um, and so, you know, valuation obviously is probably one of the key pieces of the term sheet and you know what most of the founders are focused on not to say that that it should be the sole focus but it it usually is and so um i would say from poplar's perspective we look at all the public comps we look at any relative m a comparables in the private market that we are able to tie some type of valuation multiple usually in our our space Valuation is going to be tied to ARR, so annual recurring revenue and some kind of multiple along those lines. Um, and so basically trying to figure out what do we think an appropriate multiple is this, but then referencing 
you know, outside comps. So, you know, some people may say, okay, I'm going to look at the comps and think, okay, here's a multiple that's in the marketplace. It should apply here. I think Poplar, we were very uh, conscious on, you know, what do we actually think this business is worth, right? And does does the public and private M&A landscape from a comparables perspective support that valuation? Um, and so I, I think that's kind of our approach. And then you're going to look at different deal structures, you know, so there are all, all different types of early on uh, investment rounds that can be raised, a convertible note, a safe, you know, or just a straight priced equity round. We do straight priced equity rounds, or that's at least where our focus is. And so um, usually we're putting some type of terms around that equity, that pricing. So the valuation obviously is one of those. Then there's the preferred structure that we usually do. So some type of liquidation preference, some type of interest rate uh, preferred return is what it's called associated with that. And then management rights as well as other elements. Um, so thinking through all of those, usually with the founder team, you know, sometimes discussing that openly with them or then at least some mini term sheet and having an open dialogue that, you know, sometimes turns into a negotiation. Yeah. And I, I, the one, the one thing I would maybe not following on on that, but the one thing I would emphasize for an entrepreneur is don't generalize when you're trying to build these relationships. You know, we, we hear a lot about the Silicon Valley VC versus a Midwest VC versus some other VC, right? The reality is you have to go build the relationship with a particular investor. And so what you ought to be thinking about is, is, is there a good fit in terms of that investor, you know, knows my space? Is there a good fit in terms of do I get along with that particular investor? Is there a good fit in terms of can they actually help me, you know, kind of get to the next stage? You know, those are the things that you need to be thinking about. And it's not so much about, you know, how does the how does this VC act different than that VC? Because those are general comments. And honestly, it depends on your business. It, you know, if you have a business that is a going after a multi-billion dollar market opportunity and it's a, you know, it's a land grab situation and you've got a very good idea and you need $50 million right out of the gate, well, guess what? We ain't helping you. Yeah. I, I mean, I can, I, can, I can lead you to the right people that you do need to be talking to, but maybe you need to be in Silicon Valley. On the other hand, if you have a business that basically can still be a very large business, but maybe you have to be a, maybe it has to be one where you have to go prove product market fit first, and then you kind of, kind of work your way there. You can be cap, you can prove that you can be capital efficient. You know, those are the businesses we like. So just make sure when you're having the dialogue with the investor, you're thinking about those things, right? Yeah. Think about the fit because that is much more important than worrying about where they're from. Or, or kind of what stage they typically like to invest in. Because, you know, I think Christian said it earlier, when you get involved, or you guys said it, when you get involved with somebody, it's a long-term thing in a venture business. Yeah. It's not like I'm buying a stock in the stock market and I can sell it tomorrow, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm involved, you know, for, you know, 10 years. At least that's been my mentality is I'm going to be in this for 10 years. So when I'm, I am, I'm, I'm very focused on that fit. Yeah, I'm when trying you guys to find are- when you guys are trying to value these companies and create these valuations and the terms, are you looking at public data as far as, you know, the comps or the comparables to other software players in their, in their market? Are you looking at things like Crunchbase? If I'm a founder and I want to be on the same wavelength as you guys and come into the conversation informed, or at least look like I am, where can I go look for information? 
I'd say Crunchbase is probably yeah. the go-to. Yeah. Uh, it's free for the most part. Um, it's probably has all the data you need, both from a public and private standpoint of what type of transactions or even capital raising. And even if you're not, you know, here's the other element too, even if you're not looking at it from you know, a valuation comp perspective, but looking at who in your market's also raising money, right? That also shows what type of expectations you should have. So if you see a lot of people raising money in a specific segment, that means there's a lot of market demand from an investment side within that space. And so likely would force valuations up. You could imply that, right? Um, on the other hand, if there's been no investments in your space, and that doesn't mean that the valuations couldn't be high, but I think it's just another indicator, right? So uh, just another way to think about valuation, about your fit in the marketplace and how maybe investors are thinking about your business. Yeah, I think that's an interesting segue into the next part of this, talking and comparing uh, VC and you know places like Silicon Valley versus here in the in the Midwest or in Middle America, as we like to call it. Um, and that's not something I don't think I've I've really thought about that. You know, the, a company might have a different valuation if they're in this part of the country versus if they're in one where that industry is just a little bit hotter. So let's try to debunk some of the myths around uh, Midwest and Middle America VC versus what it's like out out in Silicon Valley. What are some of the uh, misconceptions around venture capital in this part of the country. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> where to start? Yeah, where to start? No, um, honestly, I don't. I don't think that. Um, I don't think there's that many differences. Honestly, I mean, I think most investors are after the same thing, which is they're trying to find a very, you know, a company that's going after a big market opportunity that can grow fast, um, and you know, can scale the business. So. From that perspective, they're not particularly different. The big difference, as I think I said earlier, is you know the 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 the, the scale and amount of capital that you're willing to put into the business at the up at the at the outset or early in the process um, or over those first you know three to five years. If the scale of that's going to be very big, it tends to be much bigger in Silicon Valley, right? They're making big big bets. Um, and so that team basically has the ability to go hire a lot of people very quickly. And they're basically going out and trying to win that market. Um, so a lot of capital, build the team, go prove the market, go win the market. Um, again, there's different ways you can go about it. We're, we're not set up for that, quite frankly. You know, this is not a you know billion-dollar fund. So we're set up to try to identify those companies that we think are good companies that can be big companies. And we're trying to identify the ones that um, where there is good fit, where, where we think we can bring value and they feel like we can bring value to the table. So there's, there's a good fit with the entrepreneur and the investor. And, and then, and then basically being able to participate in a way that, that grows with the company. Right. So, and grows in a, in a, you know, a reasonable way. So the valuation piece to me is, um, it's, it's just valuation is so, especially if you're early, you're really early, it's, it's art, it's not science. So the one thing I always say to entrepreneurs is if you can, I know it's difficult, take the emotion out of it. It is a financing transaction, right? You have made a decision to go build a business and you need money in order to be able to help you go build that business. If, obviously, if you didn't, if you never needed money, if you could get customers paying you right off the bat, don't raise money. Just, just build it off of what you have from the customers. But if you need the capital to grow the business, 
you're making a conscious decision that says, I need it, right? I need that capital to build my business. So I'm willing to make that trade-off. If you're willing to make the trade-off, then, then recognize that it's a discussion, right? It ultimately, the pricing is a, it's a, it's no different than any other market. The public markets are easier because you get instant pricing. In a private market, the only way you get that pricing is by having those conversations and having an investor show up and being willing to invest in the business. So best advice to the entrepreneur, get it competitive, make a competitive process, right? Get more than one investor interested in your business. You'll get you'll get to the what what the clearing price is for that partic- for your particular company. Um, but it's it's more art at the earliest stage. As you get further on, you got operating metrics, then it's a lot easier to look at the public comps. Obviously you're going to take discounts off public comps because nobody in the private market is going to invest at those valuations. But at least you have comps that you can look at that everybody can kind of get their heads around. But at the earlier stage, again, take the emotion out of it. It's not, it's not personal. It's a business decision. You decided you needed capital to grow your business. As investors, we're focused on trying to find good companies, but we also have a fiduciary duty to our investors to get a fair price. And I, and I don't think any investor has ever, ever really goes in and trying to screw an entrepreneur. I don't think that that is the intent. It has to be balanced so that both parties feel like that they have upside. Both parties have to feel like that they're motivated to, to be successful. That's the best scenario. And so it's a process. I'll be honest with you. It's probably the, it's the part I hate the most because it, it forces, it forces an investor to basically say to you, your baby's not pretty, right? I, or, or maybe they say your baby's really pretty, but I've also never heard an entrepreneur say, oh, you paid too much, right? Never, never heard him say that, right? Yeah. Another thing I, you know, I kind of chime in here. So I would say also that from a coast and middle America investment perspective, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. So, you know, for example, if there's a Louisville based startup here and needs to go out and raise $50 million, um, they're definitely going to have to go out to the coast to do it. But if they saw value in Poplar, you know, for instance, that doesn't mean that they just say, okay, well, see you later, Poplar. I'm just going to go raise coastal money. And it could be any middle America based VC. But if you saw value, you know, again, to the relationship element here, if, you, if you're based here in middle America and you see value in a relationship with a middle American based VC group or for, you know, the different elements of which they could provide value, don't just cut ties and say, okay, well, I got to go to the coast because that's where I'm going to get the big check. Don't, I wouldn't recommend doing that. I would say consider all avenues, but I think there is, you know, a common message of it. It has to be either or, right? And I think, you know, it, it would, it's always good for an entrepreneur, and as John keeps saying, consider all options and don't just cut ties because of where it's based. All right. So that wraps up, you know, this first episode of this series here. I think we had a great discussion on, you know, what Poplar Ventures is, where they're coming from. Uh, what they look for in deals, how they source their deals as an entrepreneur, you know, how you should be speaking with venture capitalist firms. I think we did a good job, you know, summarizing all that. This next episode, uh, we'll go right off the back of what we were just talking about, which is valuations. We'll dive much more into that with the term sheet. So the investment uh, is what we're calling this next episode. Um, We'll dive into that. uh, So stay tuned.